Hello everyone, I'm Michael Bennett and this is part of a series of podcasts we're doing on sustainability in conjunction with Birmingham City Council. I'd like to welcome you back to part two of my conversation with Mark Gamble. But if you're joining us for the first time, please do go back to part one before jumping into this episode. Otherwise, let's get back into the conversation. When you were looking at the uh, East Birmingham plans and developing the strategy, how important was the council's route to net zero? It was very clear early on that it was going to be a key consideration. So there's a degree of parallel development. The East Birmingham strategy work started at about the same time the council declared its climate change emergency. Um, within the document, we have the environment as one of our key objectives. We talk about Tarsley Energy Park. We we talk about the challenges associated with green infrastructure. So it's important to recognise that the inclusive growth strategy is holistic. And it takes into account many different areas of activity, many priorities. But climate change, the climate change response is key. Um, it's a key driver for how we do things. And it's also one of our top level objectives. So the East Birmingham program takes supporting the Route Zero program as one of its key objectives. It's built into the DNA of the program. For me, the, the largest overlap uh, conceptually between the two things is about the just transition. So our climate change commitment is that we want the city to be zero carbon by 2030 or as soon after as a just transition permits. And there's a lot of meaning built into those two words. Um, and it, for me, it cuts to the core of what the challenge is in East Birmingham. We need to respond to climate change, but we need to respond to climate change in a way that actually enables inclusive growth rather than it being yet another um, problem for people. We do not want people in deprived communities bearing the, the pain of the transition to low carbon. Quite the reverse, we need to be taking advantage of the opportunities afforded by the transformation of our transport network, housing retrofit, as a key element in lifting these communities out of deprivation. I'm a big fan of uh, Kate Rayworth's ideas, uh, the donut economics. And I think that, once again, it, it isn't mentioned in the inclusive growth strategy, but it's there behind it. This idea that we need to be, um, we need to be focusing on how we can address deprivation, we can meet the needs of the population in East Birmingham without that environmental overreach, without creating even more problems in terms of our emissions, in terms of our impact on the environment. Um, and I think wherever possible, we need to be doing the, doing the reverse. So addressing climate change in a way that actually creates opportunity, creates value, and it supports local wealth building. It's not just development. It's not even sustainable development. It's development in sustainability, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And despite the phrase inclusive growth, it's not necessarily all about growth either. I may be, you know, that, that may be heresy in some circles. But um, for me, it's also about systems change. It's about public sector reform. It's about how we make the system work better, more efficiently, more effectively, and how we improve our outcomes across the board in terms of sustainability, but also very much in terms of our socioeconomic impacts. We touched earlier on uh, Midland Metro and uh, the links between the interchange at Solihull and uh, the Curzon Street. Uh, again, of course, another old site with its history. How is sustainable transport being provided as part of the plan? Obviously, we've mentioned the metro, as I say, but opportunities, of course, rely to a point on transport. Um, and there is a big drive within the city to to reduce carbon emissions and, and improve air quality. 
Transport is another key issue uh, for East Birmingham. Uh, so it, it comes through very strongly in the inclusive growth strategy, and that's based on our understanding that the public transport network in the area uh, is not all it should be. Congestion's a huge problem. Air quality is a big problem. The heavy rail network covers parts of the area, but not others, and service frequencies aren't great for the areas that are covered. And this is one of the factors that creates deprivation. There are large parts of East Birmingham where it's really hard to get to a college in less than 45 minutes, for example. And the aggregate impact of issues like that is, is fewer young people going to college, just to take that one example. Um, so we have to improve East Birmingham's connectivity, physical and digital. It's one of the main tools in our toolbox. It's also one of the biggest challenges that we face. In the context of the Birmingham Transport Plan, we have an agreed approach to that. So we know what that looks like. It's to do with road space reallocation, taking space away from private vehicles, giving more of it to public transport, and I think crucially to active travel. I've mentioned a few times um, as shorthand for walking and cycling provision particularly. There are some key elements of uh, an improved transport system already in progress. So we have the A45 Sprint Rapid Transit route, which is in the process of, of going in at the moment. And there is also the aspiration for the East Birmingham to North Solihull Midland Metro route. So that's been on the radar for some years now. Um, and as you can imagine, it's an enormously expensive project. This is a really big piece of infrastructure. Um, we're exploring options at the moment for how that might come forward. And in the latest transport funding settlement from the government, um, there is an allocation of funding to look at alternative technologies. So there is a, a concept called very light rail, which is very similar to a metro, but as the name suggests, the vehicles are much lighter. And that means that the deployment cost per kilometre could be anything up to 75% cheaper. That would be a complete game changer. That technology is being developed and trialled in Coventry, and we will be paying very close attention to how that works out. We are lobbying the government to help us to accelerate the delivery of the metro. Even if we were given the money tomorrow, it would still take some years to deliver. And particularly in the context of COVID, we need to be delivering improvements much more rapidly than that. So what we're considering for the metro corridor is possibly an iterative approach where we might reallocate some of the road space for a bus lane or a sprint rapid transit or cycling, and then allow ourselves the potential to upgrade that in the future to become a tram route, for example. The baseline study for East Birmingham and North Solihull, as one of its objectives, examined the impact of the metro on deprivation. And what that showed us, though, is that delivering the metro on its own has a limited impact. So it's an important part of the picture, but we need to address the whole network. We need to have, uh, as well as the arterial kind of radial routes, such as the one the metro will follow, we also need to be looking at the north-south movements. I spent more time than I would like to recall standing at bus stops in East Birmingham as a young person. Um, the, the, you know, the, the circular bus route, the number 11, uh, that backs up all the way around the city, uh, it, that's a lot of people's day-to-day -day experience of transport and moving around, incredibly frustrating, tiring, slow. 
so we have to be taking a whole system approach. And, uh, and I think this is a key issue, actually. We need to be taking people along with us. The council cannot impose a new approach to transport. We have powers to do elements of that. But one of the key challenges we have is that at the moment, understandably for a lot of people, the private car is their first choice. And it's their first choice because it offers flexibility and in some cases reliability that they won't get from public transport. So that there has to be there has to be the carrot and the stick. Um, and my view is that we need to be working with local communities, make sure that they're part of the conversation, that they are they are bought in, they understand the benefits, and they understand that if there are sacrifices required, that there, there's a good reason for that. And it's not because somebody in an office in town has decided, you know, we're going to stick a bus route down here. It is about their air quality. It's about their commute. It's about their children's safety. So there's a whole story to be told. But And I think, particularly at a local level, and when you're looking at things like parking in local centres, for example, that's a huge issue for a lot of people. And we need to be working with local communities to do that well. Yeah, there is a great deal of that idea of changing the mentality of people generally, isn't there? That the private car has been the, the choice of transport for decades now when you look back a hundred years actually Birmingham had a very widespread tram network uh, which I think from memory was closed down in the 30s was around the last time it ran so we're almost coming full circle to that but to get there you do need people to start thinking about well actually fewer cars on the road means more reliable bus services means that you'll probably have more frequent bus services because more people are using it to pay for it and it's once you get that process started, you've got to hope that it's actually a, a cycle which reinforces itself and hopefully people come along with the journey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's referred to as behavior change. Influencing people to make better choices would be another way of looking at it. I think, though, we have to be honest about that because in many cases it is a compromise. But if you cycle to work, then it's going to take you longer. And if the we have a responsibility to ensure that if we're encouraging people to cycle, that there are good, safe cycle routes. For me, a key opportunity there is about young people. So one of the the less obvious but very important foundations for East Birmingham work is about early intervention and prevention. That if you can intervene in somebody's life when they're younger, then you can you can deliver a much greater change in their future for the same impetus, the same investment. And given that children, I think, increasingly are becoming aware of climate change as, a, as an issue and are quite vocal about our need as a society to adapt and to change, I think working with schools, working with young people, working with children affords us an opportunity to influence people when they, they haven't already you know, been driving every day for 20 years. They don't just see it as an imposition and, uh, you know, why should I, why should I change? Why is this being forced upon me? Um, I think children are a, are a massive opportunity actually to, uh, for us just to facilitate because it's the change they want. So I think as the adults, the decision makers, uh, it's our responsibility really to help them. I think that's absolutely right. And actually, I sometimes wonder if one of the things that over the last few generations we've lost is that if you look back to the past so many mega projects that were built be it the cathedrals of the time or whatever it may be 
the people who were building them, who, who started them, were never going to see them finished. And in the same way with the environment, this isn't a project we're going to finish in one generation. Most of those truly large projects now, we can finish in a few years with modern technologies. This isn't something we can deal with. We're doing this not just to help us, but really to help the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that. And that to me is also one of the biggest changes that we need to make as a society is to understand that you know this isn't just about us. It's about everyone who comes after as well. Yeah, I agree entirely. And I think, that, you know, within any organization, there's, there's there are cycles, aren't there? Whether it's your annual budgetary cycle in politics, you have political cycles. Um, we have to be able to take the long view. Uh, so the East Birmingham strategy is, it takes as its, its notional end date, 2040. And the reason for that is that we know that some of the key issues that we're addressing here take a very long time to influence. We're not going to transform East Birmingham in two years, five years, even 10 years. However, the combination of all the different things that we're doing, we can hope that within that kind of timescale, we can make this big difference. But to do that, we are connecting in with various strategic discussions. So I've talked before about lobbying the government. One aspect of that has been linking in with the conversation about leveling up. So obviously the government's delivered their white paper recently. Um, late last year, we held a parliamentary reception. We launched the city council's leveling up strategy. And one of the key things that we emphasized in there was East Birmingham. And some of the things we talked about today, transport, housing retrofit, actually, um, we said, these are key issues. We're doing this in East Birmingham. If you want to level up this area, this is how you do it. And we are working on it now. So come and work with us. Uh, we're also working with, uh, going back to your question earlier about the private sector, we're also engaging with, with investors. So there is a concept um, known as impact investment. There's an impact investors institute working to link some of the big finance houses with, with regeneration, with social value, with environmental outcomes. So we're looking at ideas for how we can uh, not just be dependent on public funding, how we can be working with the private sector so that we're pulling together some of the interesting ideas in that, that space are things like biodiversity credits green infrastructure banking uh, and i would love to see east birmingham be at the forefront of that not just because it means we can do more we can do it faster um, but because east birmingham is intended to be a a pilot area um, that tackles issues that the rest of the city also needs to needs to address and that if we can pioneer approaches if we can get frameworks partnerships methodologies established in east birmingham then very quickly they can be rolled out to the wider city and also um you know regionally potentially even nationally so we want to be delivering change in east birmingham but also developing methodologies approaches partnerships that can be applied elsewhere and if those partnerships develop uh, uh, useful procedures and effective procedures uh, for developing it, as you say, and it's rolled out and you know, hopefully Birmingham can, can lead the way and show the UK what, what can be done. Absolutely. And it's, it's part of the, uh, the East Birmingham programme methodology that we want to establish the area as a centre for best practice. So we have something called the East Birmingham Rapid Policy Unit, brings together academia, brings together policy thinkers, 
uh, implementers and planners, um, people from lots of different disciplines and backgrounds, but also it's very closely linked in with engagement. And the idea is that we have this whole feedback loop from you know the ideas and the the kind of high level strategic discussions and thinking through to the on the ground experience of well what works what are people telling us you know and how do we adapt some of these these big corporate priorities including things like the climate change response to specific locations and specific communities and do it in a way that works so it's not a one size fits all top down but neither are we just beavering away doing what we think is a good idea without being linked in with the big conversations. So you mentioned that last section about retrofitting uh, housing in the East Birmingham area, and I'm sure in the wider Birmingham area as well. How have you gone about developing the retrofitting agenda? How have you uh, brought in the private partnerships that I'm sure you'll need to get that done? Uh, and how is that progressing? So retrofit is a, a key priority for Route Zero programme. Um, we have an enormous challenge in Birmingham. So the council owns 60,000 homes that need to be retrofitted. There's a further 370,000 that we don't own that also need to be retrofitted. And you can, you know, you can do the maths at whatever value you assign to each one of those units, the numbers are immense. And we need to do this quite quickly because we know that residential heating and power is one of the major sources of carbon emissions. There's also the fact that some areas of the city have some of the worst fuel poverty in the country. So we have, there's a couple of different key motivations for needing to get retrofit moving. However, it's a challenge. It's also an opportunity. So once again, if we're spending billions of pounds retrofitting houses so that they are zero carbon, then there is an enormous supply chain and employment opportunity associated with that. And I would like to see Birmingham being at the forefront of that. If we can be manufacturing some of the retrofit kits here, if we can be training people to work in retrofit here, and particularly if we can target a lot of that activity within deprived communities like East Birmingham, then that's part of our, you know, our transformational uh, approach. It has the potential to make a vast difference to the prosperity of the place. The way that we're approaching that in practical terms is uh, it's quite early days at the moment. However, there are two projects coming forward in East Birmingham already. They, uh, we've established something called the East Birmingham Community Heat Task Force. And once again, that's chaired by Liam Byrne and has many different people, groups, businesses involved with it. And we are working towards a proposal for a net zero neighborhood demonstrator in the area. The combined authority has a funding stream associated with this that we're uh, aligning with. But beyond that, it's something that we, I think we would be doing anyway, and we, we will be building upon. The net zero neighborhood demonstrator is intended to look at holistic approaches to the decarbonization of residential areas. So it is about retrofit. It is about the fabric of houses. It's about developing uh, methodologies for different housing archetypes, eras of construction, different tenures. But it's also about everything else you do to, um, to reduce the carbon emissions of that neighborhood. Um, beyond the housing. So it also looks at transport, it looks at the green infrastructure, and crucially, it's about how the community is engaged. That's obviously important in a number of ways, whether they own their own homes or not, they have, they have a, a, an enormous stake in what happens to their house. So um, we're looking at focusing that 
in the first instance on part of Castle Vale. We're working with Pioneer, the housing association, um, and we're just over the next few weeks, we'll be putting together our development plan for how that will take shape. There are also proposals to bring forward a 300 home retrofit pilot in East Birmingham. Uh, options are being looked at at the moment. I think we're uh, looking at a cabinet report later in the year, and that will be addressing various models, including things like the energy sprung model, where you you introduce measures such as insulation, but also generation that makes a house um, net zero in terms of carbon. And that is financed by the the energy savings over an extended period. There are other options, other ideas, and I suspect we will need a combination of lots of different approaches in Birmingham. But we are looking at some of these questions in East Birmingham first, and I'm sure over the next two or three years, this will only accelerate in the context of what is a major national priority in climate change. I can see how that in many ways would be for businesses one of the largest opportunities, at least for smaller businesses, because while it's being looked at in terms of the council's own housing, the housing it's particularly associated with, that 430,000 homes, the private owners are also going to want something similar, maybe perhaps over the same or longer timescales, not least given the price of gas at the moment and the way electricity is going. Once those technologies are developed and the businesses, particularly in Birmingham, if it's manufactured here, if they're easy installers to to find uh, and there's enough of them that the prices are reasonable, it's something that the, the private owners would probably take huge advantage of. Uh, certainly as a lot of the housing stock, uh, particularly in the northeast of the Burt City as well, is either Victorian or 1930s construction, which is pretty hard to retrofit in many ways, being solid brick construction. but having that industry within the city and available to to everyone it's a and if the expertise is developed here uh rolling it out to other nearby cities as well who which are similar era construction most times uh it's a it's a huge business opportunity as well so the the investment now would hopefully return many fold to those who get involved yeah absolutely and i think it can transition as well so at the point where we've we've retrofitted these you know 450,000 odd houses there is then the ongoing challenge of of new build standards um and that's something we're addressing in parallel in some ways it's it's theoretically easier because you're starting with a clean slate but it definitely has its own challenges not least viability so how do we deliver good quality affordable housing that is also zero carbon because obviously there's a significant cost to doing that well, thank you very much for that, Mark. I think one of the the key things that comes out of conversations like this for me always is is this mantra of change and change in the right way. Um, and for me personally, it's something that Birmingham is synonymous with. And I, I first visited the city about 20 years ago now, and I remember coming into the old New Street with its low ceilings, being pulled up the escalators through the Palisades as it was, uh, making my way through the old library to Broad Street and uh, uh, enjoying the uh, the nights out there. But when I returned a few years later, even then the change was incredible. And when you now look at how people are welcomed into this city, even through New Street, which is the new gateway into the city, of course, the Cathedral Square, which has been brightened up with the completion of the Grand Hotel and so many other uh, initiatives around that area and the developments out both down Broad Street and around Curzon Street and so on. Birmingham has been 
changing itself continuously for that period. And I've got no doubt even before that with Brindley Place. Now it's a slightly different type of change. But again, change and change for the better is at the heart of that initiative and at the heart of the development strategy uh, and making Birmingham a much better place to live and a much more sustainable place to live. So thank you very much again for your time. We uh, look forward to uh, all of you joining us again next time.